This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome. Welcome indeed. We know you have many choices for your radio entertainment, and we're pleased that you have chosen us. I want to note in starting today that uh, in going out into the garage and (laughs) going through some stacks of papers that had been put together for this show back in the Bush administration, it was, well, it's been quite a revelation. In some cases, the things that we were talking about then, we're still talking about. I'm glad to note that many of the horrible things we were talking about back then, well, we're not talking about them so much. And it's good to note that during this interval, some progress has been made. Um, On next week's program, I plan to dig through that pile and uh, and do a comparison, then versus now. And of course, uh, maybe dig up some of our favorite quotes and quips and jokes that we, we used back then and recycle them shamelessly. Of course, that look back is going to give us a few revelations, I think, for today's program, or at least some insights, and I shall strive to weave them into the narrative today. In our third segment, we plan to go down to Hollywood and speak with uh, our Hollywood agent, Mr. David Rosenblum, who has not been on the show for several years now, I think, and uh, we're very much looking forward to having David back. There's a bit of a controversy uh, about this coming Sunday's Oscar award ceremony, There's some debate about who should be in the obituary role, looking back at who passed away this last year. There's a man named uh, uh, Tommy Culla that some publicists in L.A. are kind of irked because he may not be included in the role. And, well, we'll talk about about all that in segment three. Let us begin today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. And I must say, looking at the things that took place on this date in history, which is February 21st, well, some days are, let's just say, more impressive than others. You can be the judge of what the fo- how the following items place today, February 21st, such as the fact that it was on February 21st in the year 1173 that Pope Alexander III canonized Thomas Becket, the martyred Archbishop of Canterbury who'd been killed on the orders of English King Henry II. Or how about this one? February 21st, 1848, John Quincy Adams, sixth U.S. president and congressman from Massachusetts, collapses from a stroke on the floor of the House while speaking against the recently concluded Mexican-American War. Yeah, it's kind of a slow news day. But it was on February 21st in 1848 that Karl Marx, with help from Friedrich Engels, published the Communist Manifesto, which was surely the most influential political pamphlet in history. In it, Marx predicted imminent revolution, and within days, a revolt in France forced King Louis-Philippe to abdicate which was part of what I think Al Gore was referring to about the Paris Commune, which we referred to on last week's show. All right, what else we got? Uh, February 21st, 1925, the renowned American literary magazine, The New Yorker, publishes its first issue, which is something we quote from The New Yorker from time to time and and may do so later today. But I think we're going to get out of this date in history. All right, our quote of the day comes from the British statesman Harold Macmillan, who once said, A man who trusts nobody is apt to be the kind of man nobody trusts. And you can trust the fact that the former PM is no relation to our own, Mr. Macmillan. 
A quip of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said, A college student in Pennsylvania is suing her school for the C-plus she got in a class. She said, I'm suing whoever's responsible for this. Of course, the professor said, Don't you mean whomever? Our joke of the day comes from our archival files. And is a piece from The Onion back in 2005. The headline is, Evangelical Scientists Refute Gravity with New Intelligent Falling Theory. Piece goes on to quote Reverend Gabriel Burdett, who said, Things fall down not because they're acted upon by some gravitational force, but because a higher intelligence, God, if you will, is pushing them down. Burdett was described as holding a degree in education, applied scripture, and physics from Oral Roberts University. And doggone it, I can't resist quoting a bonus joke section here for today's program from something sent to us 10 years ago, which is a piece sent to us by Jilly, titled, Top 10 Indicators Your Employer Has Changed to a Cheaper HMO. And actually, most of these are pretty good. Starting with number 10, your annual breast exam is done at Hooters. Number nine, directions to your doctor's office include take a left when you enter the trailer park. Number eight, the tongue depressors taste faintly of fudge sickles. Number seven, the only proctologist in the plan is Gus from Roto-Rooter. Number six, the only item listed under preventative care coverage is an apple a day. And there's a, number five, my personal favorite, your primary care physician is wearing the pants you gave to Goodwill last month. And number four, the, quote, patient is responsible for 200% of out-of-network charges, unquote, turns out to not be a typo. Number three, the only expense covered 100% is embalming. Number two, with your last HMO, your Prozac didn't come in different colors with little M's on them. And the number one of the top 10 indicators your employer has changed to a cheaper HMO, you ask for Viagra, you get a popsicle stick and duct tape. And our stat of the day was telegraphed earlier in this segment. It is the fact that a former student is suing Pennsylvania's Lehigh University, claiming that a C-plus grade cost her $1.3 million in salary. Megan Thody alleges a professor gave her the low grade over non-academic disputes, ruining her chance to become a state-certified addiction counselor with better pay. Said Theode's lawyer, She's literally lost a career. All right, after doing a last week's program, yours truly got up the next morning, flipped on his computer, and was stunned, stunned to see the photographs of a very large meteor slamming into the skies above Siberia. And no, as you're probably aware by now, this apparently had absolutely nothing to do with the asteroid that came buzzing the Earth 17,000 miles away just a few hours later. For that matter, a sizable meteor came slamming into the Bay Area uh, on that morning, also not related, which makes us pretty pleased uh, about the fact that we have been covering this issue on this program for a long time. We're still hoping to bring you astronaut Ed Liu from the B612 Society, who was featured on Ira Flato on NPR's Science Friday. 
We do expect to bring on Ed Liu or, and or Rusty Schweikert, who have been tirelessly uh, working to raise public awareness about this issue that very large objects are slamming into the earth, and it might be a good idea to try and avoid some of those if we can. As of yesterday, the object that uh, blew up in the skies above Chelyabinsk in Russia has been upgraded to a blast of 500 kilotons. That's a half a megaton and represents energy levels 40 times that of the bomb in Hiroshima. Over a thousand people were injured by this. And of course, when I saw the headline, I was just stunned because there's really only one episode in recorded history that we're certain of where a human being has been injured by a falling meteor. That was a woman uh, whose house was penetrated by a meteor back around 1948 in Alabama. There's famous photos of her with a big welt on her abdomen. There are other references in history, of course, not the least of which the great Tunguska blast in Siberia 19, and back in 1908, which is apparently something quite similar to what took place last Friday. This is some pretty fascinating stuff. We've, of course, uh, been covering it over the years and are very much going to continue to do so in the weeks to come. Perhaps the most fascinating aspect about this great explosion over Russia was how often it was recorded by the video cams on people's cars. We should have had our bonus, I think our bonus quote of the week, which, which I may have to paraphrase without looking it up, but apparently uh, there's so many of these dash cams in Russia because people are always getting into accidents and the police being, well, what they are in Russia, people want hard evidence to go to court with. In fact, a Russian was quoted as saying, yes, you can get in your car without pants, but you must never drive without dash camera. Anyway, we expect to have a very interesting segment or two in the months to come related to what happened last Friday. Yeah, guys, I'm just frankly a bit stunned by the fact that uh, they followed the flash of light out to a lake in Siberia and then found a 20-foot perfectly round hole in the ice on top of the lake. They've, uh, they've gone down to try and find the pieces of the meteor, but apparently it's too silty on the bottom. But I'm sure they're going to um, find that thing and pull it up. And already the meteorite market uh, has been flooded with these. I hope they will make them uh, more affordable. But uh, oh, this is such a great topic. I can't leave it quite yet. A uh, piece by Andrew Kramer in the New York Times about uh, titled Near Miss Tales in Russia uh, mentions that uh, at the Church of the Transfiguration in Chabarkal, which is on a hill overlooking that lake with the hole in it, Deacon Sergeye was in mid-service, having just closed the doors of his iconostasis, a wall of icons in the Orthodox uh, churches, and he reached a portion of the liturgy symbolizing the entombment of Jesus in the Holy Sepulchre and the imminence of the resolution. He said, just then, a bright light spilled through every window. It was like a new sun was born. This all gives us reason to think. Is the purpose of our life just to raise a family and die, or is it to live eternally? Well, that's a good question, Reverend. But, uh, that eternal question is somewhat balanced off by Dimitri, who was apparently ice fishing out on the frozen lake surface and shrugged off the whole event. His quote is saying, A meteor fell. So what? Who knows what can fall out of the sky? It didn't hit anybody, and that is the important thing. I don't know. The most fascinating thing to me is that they've upgraded the energy levels from this blast by measuring uh, sound waves that went around the Earth in part. And it got three, it got upgraded three orders of magnitude. That's by a factor of 100. Scientists have been quoting as saying, well, you know, that's to be expected. We just have never seen anything like this event on video before.
At any rate, let's uh, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for pythons. After a month-long effort to rid the Florida Everglades of Burmese pythons by 1,500 gun- and machete-wielding hunters, ending with the capture of just 50 of the estimated 100,000 well-camouflaged wily snakes. Said one frustrated hunter, I saw nothing but alligators and birds. You know, I'm not sure that Dave Barry column that we read on last week's show even does the nuttiness of this whole deal justice. Although Radio Parallax is of the opinion that Burmese pythons should be killed on sight. Well, at least the ones in the Florida Everglades. The ones in Burma can be left alone. And this might be a good time to mention that that opinion, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California none of whom, so far as we know, have ever let a Burmese python go into the wilds of the Everglades. All right, and it was an ugly week last week for red meat after the most loyal customer of Las Vegas's Heart Attack Grill, home of the quadruple bypass burger, in fact died from a heart attack at age 52. The owner of the Heart Attack Grill, John Basso, mourned the loss of daily burger eater John Aleman but said, it, quote, isn't going to stop us from what we're doing. People have got to live their lives, unquote. And it was both a bad and ugly week last week for witch hunting with the news that hundreds of people in Papua New Guinea apparently watched in horror as an angry family burned a woman alive saying she had used witchcraft to kill a boy. Apparently, Kapari Leniata was doused in gasoline and burned to death by relatives of the dead boy. Police said as many as 50 people would be arrested on murder charges. Apparently, sorcery is illegal in Papua New Guinea, and last year police arrested a gang of 29 people who were killing and cannibalizing suspected witches. And I I would add parenthetically that uh, when I had an option last November of traveling north to Southeast Asia and out of Australia... I had a couple ways to do it. One involved stopping in Papua New Guinea, and the other involved stopping in the Philippines. I chose the Philippines. All right, and and I guess as a final addendum, it was not just a good week, but it was a very good week last week for nervous flyers after aviation researchers declared the airline industry safer now than ever before, with the risk of passengers dying within the U.S. dropping to one in 45 million flights. I'm sure by that they meant person's times flights. But still, better odds than you're going to get in Vegas. We've been promising for some weeks in this program to bring someone on to talk about what happened to Flight 800 back in 1997, which uh, we have maintained was due to an accidental shooting down by the United States Navy. We're still working on that, but in the meantime, Boeing's Dreamliner remains grounded. All Boeing 787s Remain grounded until they can figure out what to do about the battery problem, which is what you do when an aircraft has a possible design flaw. You ground all of them and figure out what to do about it, which is not what they did back in 1997 when they declared with a straight face that Boeing 747s sometimes just blow up. 
And after seeing a uh, documentary on television explaining what probably happened to that Air France flight back in 2009, well, it does appear that the Airbuses have a rather uh, disconcerting um, uh, design in them that involves joysticks and not yokes, such as they have in Boeing aircraft. Perhaps uh, a reader to New Scientist saw that same uh, uh, documentary and also in conjunction with a piece that was in the magazine when he wrote some months ago that the problems that led to the crash of Air France Flight 447, which killed 228 people, were fully solvable. And as you reported, the pilots' inability to deal with them reflects on their training. More new generation pilots need to take a glider course where they will learn some stick and rudder skills rather than being taught solely on computers, which sounds sensible to us. By the way, if you're the sort of person that would prefer to fly in a Boeing rather than an Airbus, uh, you can ask your travel agent or make inquiries on the web as to what type of aircraft will be flown on a given flight. And um, I have to confess, I did uh, some research along those lines and did, whenever possible, try and book on Boeing aircraft on my last trip. Something to consider. All right, we're near the end of this segment, but before we leave, we should hear uh, what America's foremost political comic, Will Durst, has to say about things political. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few words about the Civil War supposedly raging inside the Republican Party. Yes, again. As you probably heard, Karl Rove recently announced the creation of a new super PAC called the Conservative Victory Party, which you gotta admit is an odd name from the guy who famously had an election night hissy fit on Fox News because Mitt Romney wasn't being victorious. Wait, 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 it's not over. There's a cul-de-sac in a suburb on the outskirts of Cleveland Heights that hasn't checked in yet. Hey, let me go. My arm doesn't bend that way. The idea is to back moderates in primary elections so Republicans don't have to enter the generals supporting some bat guano crazy candidate like Christine I Am Not a Witch O'Donnell or Todd Magic Fallopian Tube Aiken. Of course, the Tea Party has taken offense to this move, viewing it as counterproductive to their bat-guano-crazy candidates. So you got those guys going at it. Then, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul insisted on giving an unofficial response to the official State of the Union response by the extremely thirsty Florida Senator Marco Rubio. And Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal gave a speech saying the GOP needs to stop being the stupid party. Yes, he did. And the fact that he said it out loud in front of cameras was, well, stupid. This is like one of those old cage battles royale put on by the World Wrestling Federation back in the early 80s, where 15 guys got into the ring with a chair, beat each other up, and the last one standing wins. Man, that's what the GOP needs. A Hulk Hogan to put everyone back in their place. Although to me, Karl Rove has always seemed more like a rowdy, rowdy piper type. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Well, thank you, Mr. Durst, for that. I was planning to get around to mentioning this fact that, uh, well, to quote from the week, Karl Rove's Political Action Committee this week launched a new group to protect Republican senators from primary challengers by far-right and Tea Party conservatives. Ladies and gentlemen, when we have to look to Karl Rove to be the voice of moderation and reasonableness, 
we're in trouble. That does remind me about uh, his his fit on election night, saying no, Romney should have been elected. There's something very funny about uh, polls and politics and uh, and the treasure trove of materials that I dug up uh, from the garage uh, needs to be gone over as we review that topic. But uh, being that it is uh, the week of the President's Day holiday, just with Honest Dave's birthday on the 11th and George Washington on the 22nd, I do want to end this segment with a little piece from Mental Floss, which I didn't know about, and maybe you didn't know about either, dear listener, but to quote from the magazine, Contrary to what your history teacher said, Abraham Lincoln's finest speech didn't begin with the phrase four score. Instead, it was a thunderous anti-slavery oration delivered to the first convention of the Illinois Republican Party on March 29, 1856. School children don't recite these words for a simple reason. Nobody wrote them down. It's not clear how the text of the speech became lost, but the traditional explanation is that the speech was too powerful. Instead of transcribing Lincoln's fiery words, entranced journalists forgot to take notes. The Chicago Democrat reported at the time, Abraham Lincoln, for an hour and a half, held the assemblage spellbound by the power of his argument, the intense irony of his invective, and brilliancy of his eloquence. I shall not mar any of its fine proportions by attempting even a synopsis of it. Of course, the magazine notes that some modern scholars have a different theory. They speculate the speech was suppressed, not lost. Lincoln's words may have been such an intense rebuke of slavery that their publication had the potential to shake a fragile nation. The speech's reputation only grew as Lincoln's national stature skyrocketed. Several first-hand accounts and quotes of the speech have surfaced over the years only to be debunked, leaving historians hungrier than ever for an accurate transcript. Pretty interesting, eh? Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got plenty more. Stick around. <laughs> 